Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. Good morning. Well, if you thought you were going to get to sit the whole time, uh, we will stand as we read God's Word together uh, this morning from Luke chapter 2. Uh, verses 8 through 15. Madeline's going to read that for us. If you have one of the Bibles in the seats in front of you, um, we would strongly encourage having a a copy of the Word in your hands. Um, That's on page 857. 857, Luke 2, 8 through 15. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, an a- there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Amen. The word says that uh, the grass withers, but the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the, the certainty um, that we have in your word, um, that by your word you have spoken to us. Um, I pray, Lord, um, that our certainty uh, would not merely be an intellectual um, assent, uh, an intellectual agreement, uh, but Lord, that the truth that your word speaks to us um, and that you speak to us by your word Uh, would be something that each of us in this room experience, um, that we treasure, um, and that we continually um, go to um, in our lives um, so that we may know, Lord, that you have spoken. Um, Thank you, Lord, that you have also spoken to us by your son, Jesus. Um, Thank you for sending him uh, for sinners. Um, Thank you for for, uh, the truth that Jesus um, has come um, so that we may, may have peace with God. Um, thank you for the joy um, that, that this truth produces um, in us and the hearts of your people. Uh, we, are not, we are no longer people of, of despair um, or people of, a, of an unquenchable longing, um, but, a, but a longing that has been um, sufficiently filled um, through, through relationship with Christ um, and peace with, with our Father. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may have a seat. Let's, uh, let's dig into the word this morning. Um, one of the things that we, we do, that we, that we say often during the Christmas season, um, it's, I actually don't have it pulled up right now, but there's a prayer uh, that a friend of mine wrote, um, an Advent prayer. Um, and part of that prayer um, is asking the Lord to make the, the familiar fresh to us. Um, this is a very familiar season, right? Um, lots of traditions, uh, the songs that we sing um, are familiar. Some of, them are, some of them, even with the melodies, are a little bit creepy, right? You're like, it's kind of a weird melody there. Um, but, but nonetheless, one of the things that I have discovered over the last few years is just the depth and the richness of many of the, the very familiar songs that we sing at Christmas time. 
Um, the melodies, again, aren't all peppy and, and happy-go-lucky, uh, but, but when we sing songs like, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, Hail the Son of Righteousness, Light and life to all he brings, Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, Born, I love this line, Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. And so that, that prayer that we, that we often recite, um, that, that again was written by a friend of mine, um, is, is really important for today because the text that we are studying today is a very familiar text. Um, and we're praying that the Lord would make the familiar fresh to us. Um, and it would not be, be stale, and maybe that you'd even hear it in a, in a new way, not because of anything that I say, but, but, but the, the way that the Spirit desires to, to speak to us through his word this morning. So if I could title this morning's sermon, um, it would be Joy at Christ's Birth. Um, we've, we've walked through um, the, 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 the realities of, of hope and love and peace, and then today uh, we just want to talk about um, joy, particularly joy that we see at the birth of Christ. Um, and so again, if, if you haven't yet, turn your Bibles to page 857, if you have those in the seat in front of you, Luke 2, 8 through 15, um, and that's where we'll be this morning. Um, the, the, the great theologian C.S. Lewis said that joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy is the serious business of heaven. And so in our lives of, of toil and suffering that all of us feel the, the weight and the reality of, Lewis says that song and dance are frivolous side pieces to the serious business of the serious matters of life. When we think of, of the suffering and the trials and, and the limited minds that we have, that song and dance and joy just kind of seem to be the things that maybe happen ever so often. And the serious business are those serious matters of life where, where, the, where the tension and the suffering and the trials exist. But the, serious, but the serious business of heaven, C.S. Lewis says, where no toil or suffering exists, is joy. That's amazing, right? The serious business of heaven. Joy is the, the modus operandi, or the, 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 uh, the, the normal business of heaven. The way things operate um, is, is, what, is, is what the serious business of heaven is, is joy. And so here's the deal. We're not going to attempt to look today at all the Bible has to say about joy, and today isn't even so much about how to have joy. Um, I'm not gonna give you four steps to joy um, or anything like that, you know, cut the, the haters out of your life, you know, step one, step two, you know, do what makes you happy, all those kinds of things. Um, no, we're not gonna look at the four steps to joy. Rather, I want us to look at what the scriptures say about the presence of joy surrounding the birth of Christ. Um, and it's here, it's plain for us in the text. And so really just a few things today that the story of Christ's birth as recorded by Luke asserts about joy. And as a result, here's, here's, the, here's the beautiful thing about the scriptures. The scriptures apply to us today. The scriptures apply to where you are today. They are as relevant today as they ever have been and they'll be as relevant a thousand years from now as they ever have been. That's the beautiful thing of the scriptures. There's not many things that you can say uh, there's not many sources um, that you can say have relevance today the way that they always have. And so the beautiful things about the scriptures is that what it says about joy will give us application for, um, for, for what serves as a foundation for joy. And so I want, to, I want to see three things in this text today. 
First is that uh, I want us to see the joy from heaven. Joy from heaven. Secondly, the joy for us. And then thirdly, the joy in Jesus. Um, and so we see these three things, joy from heaven, joy for us, and joy in Jesus. So let's read verses eight and nine together. It says, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And I feel led in this moment just to, just to take time and pause to pray. Uh, joy is, a, joy is, a, is the serious business of heaven, but as C.S. Lewis said, on this side, it's, it's not always the serious business, right? The serious business of earth often tends to be the struggles and the sufferings and the trials that we walk through. And so that's the way that Lewis is, is painting that picture, uh, that on earth, the reality of, of suffering and pain is real. And so today, can we pray? Can we pray now? Because I know that that's the reality of many in here, um, in your own life. Um, and, I, and I want us to, I really want us to see today these truths from the scriptures, um, the, the, the joy that surrounds the birth and the coming of Christ. Father, uh, I pray today um, that you would help me um, to, be, to be pastoral um, with, with your people. Um, thank you for, for sending your son Jesus to be, to be the great shepherd, to be our chief shepherd, uh, the one who, who knows the realities of, of the weights and the struggles that we have in life um, in a way that, that no earthly shepherd can, can quite identify with in your people. And so, Lord, we thank you for giving us Christ, who is our shepherd. Um, and so, Lord, now, just as a, as a very small representation of the shepherding care of Jesus, would you help me as a shepherd to, to, to deal um, tenderly, delicately, boldly, um, clearly on, on what your word says about joy um, and the way that your word establishes our joy and the way that Christ is our joy. And so, um, Lord, just comfort us today. Um, comfort those in this room today who, again, are walking through, through very real, serious trials um, whether it's, whether it's um, just the, the struggle that, that, that they may be dealing with internally, uh, maybe there are struggles um, externally to them um, right now. Would you again comfort us today? Hope your words speak. Lord, we're in a, we're in a culture right now that wants to do everything that it can um, to, to diminish the power and the place of your word. Um, and may that not be the case in here today. May we, may we hold your word high and may your name be glorified. We pray these things in your name, amen. So we have these two verses, and what we see is that we have a joy from heaven. Um, the pronouncement from the angel of the Lord in these two verses tells us something deeply significant about the power of this joy. So as foreign as the fear of the Lord um, is to many in the world and in the church today, fear would have been the proper normal response of these shepherds. Um, it was a normal response. And, and, and by the way, we won't get off on all this today, but like I said, fear of the Lord is not very common today, is it? Um, for a lot of different reasons. And there's, there's a lot of things to be dis discussed about the fear of the Lord, what exactly it is. But um, on, a, on a base level, I do believe that we ought to have a deep reverence and fear for who God is. 
Um, and so we won't get into that sermon today. But the fear would have been the appropriate response by them. And not just because an appearance by an angel in the sky um, in a field, it would have been utterly terrifying. Uh, if you were out in the field uh, at night, um, I don't even like coming up here at nighttime. I don't even like going into my front yard at nighttime. Like, my cameras have caught me several times, like hightailing it back into the house um, from, from the side of the house. And so someday you might get those pictures after I'm dead and gone. But obviously there was a, 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 an aspect of these shepherds being in the field and this angel appearing. And that wasn't all that they would have or ought to have been terrified by. Rather, what would have been proper in their response of fear would have been the glory of the Lord was in their presence that the glory of God showed up, and I believe fully that they were aware of it. In fact, the, the, law, uh, the, the, the law had served to provoke this very response of reverent, reverent awe and fear in the presence of the glory of God. That where, where for all time leading up to this, you read the Old Testament, where all time leading up to this, the glory of the Lord was experienced by a few and in select places. Here it appears before the shepherds in a field. And so, you know, these people would have, they would have had no framework for this, no context for the glory of the Lord just showed up in a field and, it, and, and he's not killing, it's not killing us. The law by design had given such a keen awareness of sin and our unworthiness that any divine appearance and revelation, man, caused one to fear. Many times when something like this happened, people did not come out alive. So, so there would have been a proper fear for them, but this appearance, notice this appearance, the, the nature of it. This appearance and this particular pronouncement was one that caused even the angel to assure these shepherds, do not fear, do not fear. Man, what a, what a message, what a message for these, for these shepherds to behold the glory of God and for an angel, a messenger of the Lord to preach to them, do not fear. Because what I have to give to you is something that you cannot even comprehend. No, the content of this message, the title of the angel's sermon was what? Was joy. That's what, that's what the text says. An angel of the Lord appeared to them in the... In the um, and the angel of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And so the title of this angel's sermon again was joy. It was good news. It was a gospel pronouncement. It was a pronouncement of the good news that had come to people. And it wasn't good news or a pronouncement from the bellies or the instincts or the experiences of people. But again, where we're at is from the heavens. This is joy from heaven itself, that that's the, the way that joy is delivered to us, not on how you feel or your circumstance, but from a place where, the, where the, the God of the heavens reigns and rules, joy has come to us from that place, not from our circumstances. So let me say a couple things about joy. Joy, um, you know, this is, this is one of the ways that I grew up thinking about joy. Joy is not some character first, character quality. You know, remember like the, 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 uh, the character first things? I grew up in a private school and we had character first. Joy was one of those things. It was, it, was a, it was a piece of character. Joy isn't some character first character quality or some disconnected, disjointed, shallow offer. It is the message that rings from heaven and radiates from the eternal throne of the one true God. Isn't that good? Isn't that good news? The nature of this joy that had arrived 
and that is available to us as the people of God is not dependent upon our circumstances, our culture, or our feelings, but, it is, but its source is the heavenly places from God. As C.S. Lewis says, joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy is the serious business of heaven. But look what, look what we see next. The second thing that we see in here is not only joy from heaven, but check this out. It's joy for us. Joy for us. Let's read verses 10 and 11, and then we'll also read 14. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Verse 14. Well, we can't, well, you know, we can't just skip these verses, but we'll focus in on 14. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When we talk about, when we talk about heaven and joy that comes from heaven, it is easy for us and, it's, and probably natural as, as limited people, it's easy for us to kind of theorize it, Right? Joy from heaven, great idea, great biblical truth. The Bible says it, I believe it, that's wonderful. But what does this really mean for me? What does this really mean in my current circumstance? What I, what I mean by that is that it can be easy to hear about this joy from heaven and to say, yeah, that's, that's great, but, but what does it have to do with me now? What about my situation? Well, first remember this that we're not attempting to answer all of life's existential questions today, um, but rather to look at what is. You understand that? Rather to look at what is the truth, what is the case, what it is that the scriptures declare to us about joy, and more specifically, what the arrival of Jesus declares. And here's what is, church family. Listen to this. Here's what is. The text shows us that the Bible assumes and posits not a theoretical ideal of joy that is disconnected from the, from the pain and the trials of a real life, but a kind of joy that we can grasp, that we can experience, that we can take hold of, that we can reach out and grab. That's the way that that's the, way the scriptures describe joy to us. Not as, like we talked about peace last week, not as some idea, not even ultimately as some doctrine, but something that the Bible gives to us as something that we can experience, that we can feel in us, that we can believe, and that our belief in that and, and, and God through his spirit can transform our hearts and our minds when things are really hard to believe, right? And so what the Bible tells us about joy is not even so much that it's joy in spite of our pain, not joy in spite of our suffering, but it's joy. Let me just tell you this, that it's joy. There can be joy found and experienced in the midst of those things. There's joy to be experienced in the midst of them. And this is, church family, this is why I prayed for us earlier, because there are many in here who may be experiencing a season of, of suffering and trial so deep that to hear me speaking on this is, man, what do you know? What do you know? We know of the, the world's pain and the hurt that goes on. But can I just tell you, dear family, this is that this is not joy in spite of those things. It's the reality that the scripture tells us that there can be joy found and experienced in the midst of those things. 
And some of you could tell, some of you could, could tell me that even more profoundly than even I could communicate it. The, the, the reality is we look at this text, the Jewish people, that the people of God, the Israelites, were keenly aware of their need for a deliverer. They, they, they knew that they needed a deliverer. They were, in fact, waiting and longing for the promised deliverer to come. They wanted deliverance. And so the angel starts by assuring of the good news that Christ's coming would be for those who long anticipated it, namely the Jewish people. Look, look, what, look what the text says. Um, I, I believe that, um, let's see, in verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, We'll get to this in just a little bit, so don't check out right now, but I think what the angel is mainly, who he's addressing is for the Jewish people, for the people of God, those who had waited, those who had longed, those who were, who were anticipating the coming. This is the angel saying, hey, all the people that have been actually waiting for this, the people of God who God promised to deliver would come, this is good news for those people, all the people. So Jesus was indeed the long-awaited promised fulfillment that the Jews had long anticipated. But as many of us know, the kind of deliverer they anticipated really on a, on a big scale was more of a political social liberator, one who would, whose primary goal was to restore Israel as a world superpower, as the one to prominence, the one who, who, would, who, would, uh, who would overcome all the bullies of the, of the Jewish people. And so what they seemed not to expect so much was a savior, one who would be their, their Lord, a Messiah that would come from heaven, sent from God, who would be their savior from their sins. And the kind of deliverance that God had always promised mainly was a deliverance from, this, the, from the, the penalty of their sin and from the curse of their sin. And that's exactly what the angel assures them that this baby will be. The angel just puts it all out in front of them right away. Notice the, notice the word that he says, for unto you was born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord, he intentionally, I think, the angel, the, the, the angel intentionally uses language not of he will be your, your king or he will be your, your deliverer. I'm not saying that those things aren't true. Those things are definitely true of this Jesus. But the, the angel says that the kind of, of man that the people are waiting and longing for primarily will be a savior to them will be Christ, the Messiah, the Lord of the people of God. So notice that early in this text, the angel seems to direct this towards the Jewish people. I do believe that initially, the angel does speak of Jesus in this way specifically to the Jewish people. All the people is the people of God, the nation of Israel. This was deeply important and significant to understand and acknowledge that Jesus as the fulfillment of what had been promised. The scriptures Namely, the Gospels spent extensive time working to show the Hebrew people that Jesus was the one. Like you see how the, the, the book of Matthew shows up. You know that really boring genealogy in Matthew chapter 1? Part of that is, is that the writer of Matthew is, is letting people who would be familiar with the Old Testament God know that this Jesus is the Messiah. We'll trace him back to David and Abraham. We'll trace him back to, to both of these heroes of the Jewish faith to let you know that the one who would sit on the reign, the, 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 who would rule and reign from the throne of David forever and ever is this Jesus. 
He's, he's the one. And so the, the, the Gospels and the Scriptures even, the book of Hebrews, is an extensive effort to show the Jewish people Jesus is the one you've been waiting for. He's the, the long-awaited one, the expected one. But here's where we, we turn. We make a major mistake if that's all that we see. This isn't all the Gospels tell us. The Gospels do not tell us only that Jesus came for, for one select people. It shows us. It shows us all throughout the Gospels that Jesus constantly engaged with people outside of the Jewish faith, constantly healing and saving people, that their faith was making them well. Luke records the angel not only assuring of the joy that would be for all the people in verse 10, but look what it says in verse 14. The, the, the writer of Luke makes sure to expand this and, and make sure we understand that this is a, a global savior. Look what it says in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. So not only to all the people who had longed for this Messiah, but guess what? He would be the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord for all of the earth. By the way, that's, that's God's plan from the book of Genesis, right? I mean, the, the, the mandates that God gives to his people to be fruitful and multiply is what? So that my glory will be made known throughout the whole earth. The, the people, the, Adam and Eve failed at this. And so God said, okay, Noah, you're my guy. <laughs> and then he, he failed. And so he says, Israel, you're, you're my people. Israel didn't do this very well. And so what God is working to do is to make his name known among all peoples of the earth. Not only one select group of people, but all the peoples of the earth. And Luke tells us that. He makes sure that we don't get so narrowly focused and that we forget that we once were far away from God, but that we have been brought in because we are those peoples of the earth that this good news of, and this peace has reached. And so Luke tells us this is a, a I don't like this word, but it's a, he's a cosmic savior for all people. In fact, cosmic actually is a good word because one day even the earth will be redeemed, right? And restored. Even the, 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 the earth creation itself will be restored and redeemed. Right now, it even experiences the reality and the weight of brokenness. The whole world will see this. Jew and Gentile alike will experience this joy that the angel announces. It is God's good will towards men. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's, what, that's what many of the texts say. Goodwill among men. This is God's good will. I have to say this as well, that if you don't see it now, if you don't see right now that Jesus is the Savior from your sin, which is as, as the angel says, that if he's not, believers, the Lord of your life, and those who don't have faith in Christ, if you don't recognize Christ as the Savior from the, the sins that he wants to deliver you from, if you don't see it now, I can promise you something. One day you will see it. One day you will know. During our time on earth, Christ can be your Savior. If you recognize him as such, you will be saved. If you recognize that I need salvation from my sins, you will be saved. But there will come a day that for those who don't recognize Jesus as Savior in this life, that, that what you will encounter Jesus as is a judge. We've, we've talked about that a lot before, that, that God is our Father. Christ is our Savior. And right now, he is calling on all people to believe, all people to repent. But there is coming a day where, 
where you will stand before the Lord. If you, are a, a, if you are one with faith in Christ, you will stand before him justified. You will stand before him redeemed, saved. But there is another group of people who have no faith in Christ, who have no need of them as their savior, who will stand in front of him. And Acts 17 says that Christ will judge the world in righteousness. And so on that day, you will either be clothed in his righteousness or your own righteousness. And your own righteousness will not be enough for access to eternity with your Father. And so we have the joy from heaven. We have the joy for us. And then finally, maybe the most important thing that we need to understand is we have joy in Jesus. Joy in Jesus, verses 12 through 15. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So the question that we ask ourselves, like we did with peace last week, is if this joy comes from heaven and if this joy is for us, maybe this seems like a backwards question, maybe it should have come first, but I like it coming right where it comes. The question that we ask is, who is the joy that the text speaks of? So last week, when we noticed that the scriptures do not theorize peace, remember, we talked about peace just being an idea or a theory, but no, what the scriptures do, do, does, do, what the scriptures do is explicitly names Jesus as our peace. Remember Ephesians, is it chapter two? It says he himself is our peace. It names who Jesus, who our peace is. Well, can I just say that these, these themes of Advent, love, hope, joy, peace, are not topics, they're not ideas, they're not theories, they're, they, find, they're, they, they find their, their fulfillment in a person. In Jesus of Nazareth, a real historical being. And so we explicitly name who our joy is, Jesus. The, the Bible, when it speaks of joy, church family, the Bible, when it speaks of joy, not merely answers the question of what, but who. When the Bible speaks of joy, the conversation's not centered around what. You know, what brings me joy? What, where can I find it? No, the conversation that the Bible initiates with us here in Luke 2 is that joy is a person. And it's not about what makes you happy or, or what can I do to find fulfillment. It's about who is it that joy is found. In who is Jesus found? And so remember, the topic of the angel's sermon here is joy. That's the, that's the topic of the angel's sermon. Joy has come. You will find him wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Behold him. This isn't an announcement. That, again, this is not an announcement of a new character quality to add to your badge collection. Anybody do like Awanas or like Galileans or you know, something growing up where you had badges and you got to stick a pin on that like when you, when you dominated that step? This isn't, this isn't another badge for your sash. Joy it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, by the way. It is a fruit of the Spirit. But... The Bible doesn't announce joy as a new character quality. It is an announcement there is a new kind of king who reigns. A new kind of king who reigns. And that by reigning in us and among us, joy has come. And joy is 
is, is, is within reach. So church family, the issue that so many of us face today, I really need us to hear this because, because there's many of us in this. There's many of us who will be in this. There's many of us who have been in this in the past. And those of you who've been in the past, you can probably share a testimony to, to, the, to the reality of this. But the issue that so many of us face today is that when we think of joy, think about it. When we think of joy, we think in terms of what and not who. We think, what can I do? What can I obtain? What can I get more of to experience the joy that my heart longs for? What, what phase of life can I get to so that I might experience joy? How can I get out of where I'm at so that I can get to joy? And we, we ask these what questions. What can I do? What can happen? What, what ought I to do? But the Bible tells us again that joy is not so much found in the what, but in the who. Joy in Jesus. The Bible does tell us that there was a joy that Jesus himself experienced, a joy that Jesus placed ever before him, Hebrews chapter 12, a joy that was before him that enabled Jesus in his humanity to endure suffering. Remember, it's not joy in spite of suffering, it's joy in the midst of it. The joy that enabled Jesus to endure the cross, this joy that we experience in Jesus as our Savior, as our Lord, as our Deliverer that the angel pronounces is seen not only in his birth. No, his birth is what set the stage and the course of his life to become our Savior, right? The, the, the birth of Christ, the joy of Christmas, right? The, the, the things that we experience now, man, it's it's, it's so crucial, but you realize it's not the whole story. You realize that a, that a born, swaddled, cute baby Jesus is, is not our Savior unless Jesus goes to the cross, unless he dies. He, he proclaimed that several times throughout his life. There were several times where people wanted Jesus to do things that Jesus probably really could, Jesus absolutely could have done and ended up, and ended up doing. John chapter two is one of those where he turns the water into wine, where he ends up doing things where people ask him, but he also always reminds people, my time has not yet come. My time's not yet come. I would imagine that if Jesus could have spoken verbally in the manger, he would have told everybody around, you know, like our modern nativity sets with the donkeys and everything, he would have told them all. My time's not yet come. This, this is not why I have come. My time's not yet come. This is an interesting thing that I read this week. Listen to this. And it just helps us realize what, what, what small but deeply significant role the birth of Christ plays in what God's plan for his son and for, for, for the earth was from the beginning. It says the incarnation Incarnation is essentially God becoming flesh. So, so God stepping, Jesus stepping from heaven, dwelling among us, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the incarnation. The incarnation is the preparation of nerve endings for the nails. The incarnation is the preparation of a brow for thorns to press through. He needed to have a broad back so that there was a place for the whip. He needed to have feet so that there was a place for spikes. He needed to have a side so that there was a place for the sword to go in. He needed cheeks, fleshy cheeks, so that Judas would have a place to kiss and there would be a place for the spit to run down the soldiers put on him. 
He needed a brain and a spinal column with no vinegar and no gall so that the exquisiteness of the pain could be fully felt for you. The incarnation, the birth of Christ sets the stage for what Christ accomplished for us at the cross. And it had to happen. Every aspect of the life of Jesus had to happen. So don't disconnect or miss this pronouncement of joy and this celebration of Christ's birth. Don't don't disconnect that from why Christ came and what it was that Christ came to ultimately accomplish. In order for Christ to be the Savior, in order for Christ to be the Lord of all of the earth, the reigning King of glory, he must endure not only a humble birth. You realize that's what that was, right? Why a king of glory would come and endure a humble birth. So he must not only endure a humble birth, but he must live a perfect life. He must endure the cross, he must defeat death, and he must raise from the dead. And what the scriptures tell us is that that man, not just this baby, but that man who submitted his life fully to the will of the Father from beginning to end, has accomplished exactly what the Father sent him to do. And he has done it, and it is finished. And in that, we have joy. The gospel, the person of Jesus. Remember, it's not about just about the what. It's about the who. In whom is our joy found? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word um, that, we can, that we can see and experience. Um, that in these, in these deep times of trial and suffering, these times of waiting and longing, um, in these these seasons of of questions and uncertainty, may we renew our minds on the truth of your word, that joy has come, that joy can be found, and may we look for it in no other place than in Christ and what he has done for us, what he has accomplished, what he has finished, what he is doing for us even now. Lord, he is alive. And so we just pray, Lord, that, that your, your glory and your power would be, would be deeply felt and experienced in each of our hearts today. Thank you so much for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray right now that as we, as we prepare to, to take communion together, that, Lord, we would allow the word the scriptures, um, to, to guide us and to direct us. Lord, if there, be, if there be any impure way within us, any uncleanliness, anything that, Lord, you are calling us to repent of, Lord, would you just, again, by your spirit, move within us, help us to be obedient to what your spirit speaks. And then, Lord, we, we praise you for the comfort that you provide. Thank you for the truth of 1 John 1, 9. That if we confess our sins, you are faithful and you are just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, may we see this morning that's not only a passage for salvation, it's a passage for us as believers to confess of our sins so that we may continually be reminded of the grace that is ours in Christ. Thank you for your love for us. And we pray these things Um, In Christ's name, amen.